It's so cool to see how God's using one of our own in Spain to reach the 99% that aren't connected to Christ. Um, my name is Dan Hardaway, and uh, my wife and I, Lorraine, have been a part of Northland for 30 years now. We've been on crew staff, which used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ, since 1983, and a part of the running community in Central Florida since our boys were in high school. Sometimes, oh, uh, the family. I forgot to introduce the family. And there they are. Um, so there's the quiver now. There's two boys and two girls. Three are married, and they've blessed us with three and a half grandchildren so far. So the fourth one's due in April. She's halfway there. So, and, uh, and so thankful for their walk of faith and, and uh, their, their continuing to follow Christ. Uh, and inspire me in many ways. So uh, that's the Hardaway clan. When we came here, they were four years old, two years old, and a newborn. And uh, so that's be fruitful and multiply, I guess. Is that what that is? So taking that verse seriously. Um, Sometimes you have an expectation about what should happen, and God does the unexpected. Let me say that again. Sometimes you have an expectation about what's supposed to happen, and God does the unexpected. Last April, I had surgery on my Achilles uh, to remove a bone spur from my heel. Uh, Three months later, I ran a 5K. I was on the mend. In August, I was supposed to run another 5K on my way to training for a half Ironman in, in September, and that's when the unexpected happened. I tripped on a brick and came down hard on my right foot, the foot that had the surgery. And the system around my Achilles was so weak that it tore the Achilles off my soleus, the other end of the Achilles. What I expected that day was to see my wife, my friend James, and uh, a bunch of running friends and finish in about 30 minutes. So what did I do? Well, I hopped on my left foot, my good foot, over to the curb and I sat down. A policeman who was working that intersection for the race, he came over and he said, do you need an ambulance? And I said, not yet. (laughs) I didn't want to leave out that opportunity. But um, a bunch of friends came by. They said they offered to help, but there was nothing they could do. So uh, Boyce came by, and uh, he stopped and helped me stand up. And uh, I thought, if I can walk then I've still got somewhat of an Achilles there. But if I can't walk, then I know it's completely shot. So I started walking. And, um, and then Lorraine and several other friends passed by. I think they were looking for a break from the heat, so they wanted to walk with me, and I sent them ahead. Um, and I thought, it's going to take me 30 minutes to get back to the start-finish. So I said, hey, Siri, play Spotify, a music app on my phone. And on came my worship set. And the first song in my worship set is this song called What a Beautiful Name It Is. And it's paired with the song um, Agnes Day. It's the song of heaven. And um, in that song, even with the pain, the intense pain that was shooting up my leg, uh, Jesus met me on that race course. When the song finished, it's about six minutes long. And uh, when the song finished, then... uh, 
Psalm 103, the first five verses came to mind where, where it says the Lord forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I mean, all the things that God has done for you, all the good things that God has done for me were just flooding into my mind. And my heart just responded in gratitude. I just started thanking God and continued to thank God for my wife, my kids, their spouses, my grandkids, my job, my team, my church, my neighbors. I just kept thanking him, thanking him, thanking him. For 30 minutes, I just had this praise time to God, a gratitude, even for my Achilles at that point. I expected to run a race with my friends that day. I did not expect to meet Jesus on the race course but he was present with me. Let me begin this time by just saying, let's pray, okay? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you love us so much that you would create us and desire to have a relationship with us. And Father, we know that um, you desire to extend that relationship to others that are around us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would use me today and use uh, and work in the hearts of this congregation and through the words of my mouth as I yield to you to glorify you and extend your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, um, I want you to do one thing for me right now. I need your help. I need you to come up with one name, one name of a person you know personally, person you know personally, that's kind of redundant, um, who is far from God. Who do you know who is far from God? Think about where you live, work, learn, and play. Those, those four areas, that's your community. That's your, the Greek word is oikos in Luke chapter 10. But where do you live, work, learn, or play? You know one person who's far from God. Everybody got that one name in mind? You got that? All right. Um, now, with that in mind, let's read uh, our passage for today, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I'd like us to stand and read this together, if you will, please. So let's read together. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You may be seated. I'm going to sit down too. Jesus was raised in a synagogue. He was a Jewish young man. So being in a synagogue wasn't foreign to him. But he did elevate the temperature in the room by declaring that the kingdom of God was there. Now, when you think about the kingdom of God, what comes to mind? Well, over the years, we've distilled this down into succinct little phrases like the four spiritual laws or the Kennedy questions or the Roman road, all these different ways of doing evangelism. And I'm sure many of you have had exposure to those in the past. But um, 
when I came on staff with Campus Crusade in 1983, and even involved in the 70s, our operatus modem, what we were mainly called to do was to share, share, and share. And so if you had a pulse, and we had your attention for more than 15 minutes, we would share, share, and share. But now we advocate something completely different. Because of the shift in the culture, how things have changed so much, now we say prayer, care, and share. Um, and so I think begin praying daily for the person that you have in mind, that person that I asked you to think of. Ask God to show you ways to care for them, and then ask questions and permission to share. Uh, let me explain those a little bit better. Uh, pray daily. This moves the hand of God. Praying does. When's the best time for you to pray for this person? Is it at breakfast? Put it on the breakfast table. Is it at night before you go to bed? Put it on your nightside table. Or first thing in the morning, put it on that nightside table. When I had just become a Christian, um, I knew that I should pray every day. And so I had a list. I was on the bottom bunk. I was 16 years old. I was in the bottom bunk. And there was a slat above my head. And, uh, and I'd tuck that prayer list in that slat. And every night I'd take that out and read through that list and fold it back up and put it back up there. Well, some nights I was so tired I'd just pull it down, open it up, turn it face up and say, Lord, you see that list? Just please take care of it. The reality is, if we pray, <coughs> it, it'll move the hand of God. Last year, there was a guy I knew at the YMCA, and he was in my oikos. He's where I live, work, learn, and play. And I didn't know where he was spiritually, but I thought, I need to start praying for this guy. And then one day in the locker room, he calls over the locker and he says, hey, Dan, do you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? And I thought, no, I don't. Uh, why? And he says, well, there was this Christian in Grey's Anatomy, and something she did made me want to start reading my Bible. And I thought, wow, God is at work in Troy's life. I said, that's so cool. Um, listen, sometime I'd like to learn more about your spiritual journey. How about we meet for lunch on Tuesday? And that led to a spiritual conversation where I could present the gospel to him. So prayer works. It moves the hand of God. Once I met a church planner in Indonesia, one of my roles with the ministry was at one point coaching Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe in how to plant multiplying churches. And uh, so I took this little short 36-hour flight to uh, Indonesia to this uh, city where we were training church planters. And there was one guy I interviewed there. He would fast and pray for 30 days before he would enter a village to talk about the Lord. And God would do amazing things. One village he went to one day, um, they had a guitar and he had a friend and they thought, Luke chapter 10, who's the person of peace in this village who's going to open his door for, for the gospel in this Muslim village in Indonesia? And, uh, and so they didn't know. And it's like, wait a minute, let's see what's going on here. So they were playing and walking down the path to the village. And sure enough, this hut, one of the doors opened. And there was a woman standing there. And she said, can you come in and play for my husband? And they said, sure. So they went in. And sure enough, there's the husband laying on the mat. And, um, and he's crippled. They think he had a stroke. They don't really know how he became crippled. But he couldn't move. 
And uh, so they played for him, and then they said, can we pray for your husband? So they prayed for him. And after they finished praying for him, with all the power of God, they said, you should stand up now. And the man stood up, and the glory of God was displayed in his legs as he walked around that village, because everybody knew that he was crippled. And the net result was they planted a church in that man's house in that Muslim village. So we know that um, prayer moves the hand of God. But prayer is the foundation for what we do in reaching out to others. That's why it's so important. All right, so that's prayer. The second element is care. So prayer, care, and share. We're going to talk about care now. How did Jesus demonstrate care? Well, it's kind of interesting. You look, look at the text, healing every disease and sickness. Well, look what led up to this. In chapter 8, Jesus heals a leper, and then he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He calms the storm, then he delivers a man from being demon-possessed. And then in chapter 9, he forgives a paralytic and restores his legs. Then he raises a girl from the dead, and then heals a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. Then he heals a blind mute. This was the care that, de- that Jesus demonstrated. How has God called you to care for that person you thought of at the beginning of this service? Um, make this part of your prayer life. Lord, what can I do for that person to show them that I care? Why? Because uh, it says in verse 36 um, that he looked at the crowd. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't just focused on their spiritual condition, was he? He cared about that, but sheep without a shepherd are likely to get lost. (laughs) The reality is, um, my wife and I went to a magic game recently, and what I saw was a crowd of people who were undyingly loyal to a team. But in uh, what really was going on is there were people who were harassed and helpless. I'm not talking about the players, but the people who look like they have it all together, and they're simply finding ways to cope with their dilemma. And so, you see, everyone you meet, the barista at the coffee shop, the checkout at the grocery store, the neighbor at their mailbox, that coworker you meet at break time, that student you sit next to in school, Everybody is on a spiritual journey. That's the way God created them, in his image. He put his fingerprints on everybody. Our ability to love, our ability to create, is evidence of those fingerprints on us. Well, everybody has that. And he he created them to be in a personal relationship with them, not just some abstract uh, religion, but a personal relationship. But they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, like in the garden in Genesis, when, he was, when they were tempted and that fellowship God with God was broken. Harassed like that, spiritually cut off from God. But we know the solution, don't we? We know what the answer is. It's Christ. So he came and lived a perfect life. He was sacrificed for the choices that I made just so that I could have a right relationship with God. And all I did in 1976 was ask him to take control of the throne of my life, to be at the center of my life. And I put my faith and trust in him then. 
Obviously, Jesus was demonstrating compassion. It wasn't that complicated to him. What's interesting that years ago when I would see somebody in distress, I would think, how did they get themselves into that situation? That's called judgment. And that's not our business. That's God's business. And then I became a governing elder here. And uh, some of you know what that's like. Um, And God began to do a work in my heart. And I'd see somebody in distress and I'd think, how can I help them? What can I do for them? How can I encourage them and move them along? God did a work in my heart to move from judging people to caring about people. Is there room in your heart for God to do that kind of work? Well, it's prayer, care, and finally share. The way to begin a gospel conversation these days is to ask questions, because questions give you insight into their world. Now, Jesus is the embodiment of an all-knowing, all-powerful God, and yet when he Recorded in the Gospels are 130 questions that Jesus asked. Do you think we could learn something from this? For example, let's look at some of the questions. Uh, John 1, what are you looking for? John 18 and 20, who, who are you looking for? Luke 2, why were you looking for me? Luke, uh, Matthew 20, what do you want? And one of my favorite is uh, Blind Bartimaeus, who is a, a a blind guy begging by the side of the road, and Jesus passes by and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He knew who Christ was. And Jesus asked him a question and said, What do you want me to do for you? What a profound question. The the all-powerful, omniscient God says, What do you want me to do for you? Do you think he knew that Bartimaeus wasn't blind? Of course he knew. But he said that so his glory could be demonstrated to everybody there. Um, what, if, what if Jesus asked you that question? What can I do for you? How would you answer? Think about that person that you thought of at the beginning of the service. What if Jesus asked them, what can I do for you? How would they answer? That's a fun question to ask. Some of the questions, uh, questions give you insight into a person's world. Some of my favorite questions are, uh, how can I pray for you? Um, A very simple question, how can I pray for you? And it's not not rocket science, okay? Last week, uh, there was a waitress at our table, and I was in San Antonio training some of our staff in how to teach churches how to grow and multiply. And um, this waitress brought our food, and she said, is there anything else I can do for you? And I said, well, just one more thing. And she kind of leans in because she's expecting me to ask for ketchup or a fork or something. And I say, well, before we eat, we're going to thank God for our meal. Is there something that when we're praying, we can pray for you? And, uh, and she thought, and she said, yeah. And she gave us an answer. And we said, wow. And it started a conversation. Turns out she was already a Christian. And, uh, and so we did a mini training on how to do evangelism with her. But... Um, It's that easy to say, how can I pray for you? I have a friend, Colin Millar. Every day, he plans on asking one person, if there's one thing I could pray for you personally, what would it be? So every day he asks somebody that question. Um, It's a pretty cool question to enter into a conversation with. Another favorite one is to ask about a person's spiritual journey. 
And the reason people don't talk about their spiritual journey is because they haven't been asked. (laughs) You can ask them. And I put it in the context of a future conversation. I say, sometime I'd love to hear more about your spiritual journey. I did this yesterday with a young man at the Y. 80% of the people who were asked this question had a positive response to it. Okay, think about that. Now, if I lead with a 40-pound King James Bible and start beating them over the head with it, then they're probably not going to, they're going to run. But 80% of the people who said, hey, would you be willing to talk about your spiritual journey, said, yes, I would. And they're not wanting to talk about religion. They're not wanting to talk about this church. They're wanting to talk about their journey. And that's what's important. Um, Like the guy in the locker room, it led to a spiritual conversation. The sauna is my favorite place to bring up spiritual conversations. I mean, you're in there for 10 to 20 minutes, and I begin with, hey, how was your workout today? And uh, are you training for a goal? And, and are you from here? Et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of my favorite places. But it works in coffee shops, uh, checkout lines at grocery stores, et cetera, neighbors at mailboxes, and in school. So ask questions, get the conversation started. And then at some point you can transition and say, can I show you something that makes a lot of sense to me? Another question. You don't just start ramming the gospel down their throat. So that's where you present your story or the gospel. So why don't we share our faith? Well, there's um, a lot of reasons, but here's five of them that I've identified over time. One is a lack of desire. Sadly, too many Christians have lost their vision to share the gospel for being uh, labeled narrow-minded. People are perceived Christians as not caring, and and that's where the prayer and the care change that equation, right? They think we're narrow-minded, but we have the mind of Christ, and realize what he's done for you. Remember that Psalm 103, those first five verses? If you've forgotten about what Christ has done with you, go back and read the Gospel of John and pay particular particular attention to the I am statements in there. Um, What has he done for you? And that'll work on that lack of desire. Another one that keeps us from sharing Christ is fear. It's tied to relational risk. We don't want to offend somebody. So we don't want to be rejected and we don't want to feel uncomfortable. But when you begin by asking questions instead of just preaching at people, then you cast off the stereotype that people have about Christians. In other words, they they won't even see it um, in terms of their situation. So the third one is the lack of know-how. We're often unprepared and lack confidence. We don't know what to say or how to say it. We fear being asked a question that that we can't answer. Well, let me tell you this. It's okay not to have the answer. The answers are out there. But if you begin with questions and you show interest in their life, then they're willing to trust you and they'll be willing to wait for an answer. Great resources for answers include a website that our ministry has called everyperson.com. And it's pretty easy to remember, everyperson.com. Uh, 2,400 people a day indicate trusting Christ at that website every day. And it was written from the perspective of the gal who runs this website, uh, Marilyn. She wrote it from the perspective of an atheist 
and so it really does connect with people in today's vernacular and uh, and how they think. Also on December 5th, uh, Sunday afternoon, I'll be teaching a class on the most simple way to have a gospel conversation. If you'd like to learn how I present the gospel, then I'd love for you to join me then. Another reason that people don't share Christ is, one, they don't have any friends with people who aren't Christians. We go from our Christian schools to our Christian soccer to our home group to our church, and when we eat out, we eat out for Jesus' chicken. I like Jesus' chicken, okay? So how do you deal with this? Well, in 2012, uh, my youngest child, Carrie, uh, graduated from high school and went off to Florida State. And um, yeah, like that. So we, we've got that, we've got that, and I don't know what a Commodore does, but anyway. Um, and uh, she, we started noticing on social media um, that she was going off with the rock climbing club and she was going on this weekend trip with the rock climbing club and doing this with the rock climbing club. And so one time when she was home, I said, Carrie, you know, you were in marching band in high school, you did this, you did this, but never did I see an interest in the rock climbing club, okay? So what is this about? And she said, well, Dad, <laughs> um, I just want to be like you and Mom and meet people who didn't know Christ and introduce them to the Savior. So if you don't have any friends who are not believers, get a hobby, okay? Our hobby is running, and we meet all kinds of people in that community. Another thing that keeps us from sharing our faith is busyness. Our schedules get packed. Lifestyle habits develop ruts that keep us from talking to others about Christ. But what if sharing your faith isn't another event on the calendar, but it's something that you do naturally as you go along the way? Wouldn't that make it easier? So work in the midst of your own oikos. How do you grow a church? Well, it's really simple. Um, you grow a church by getting the gospel outside of these walls into the places where you live, work, learn, and play every day. And, and when the gospel penetrates those, then our church will start growing again. Um, by use, us living out a prayer, care, share lifestyle, remember prayer, care, share amongst the lost, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his responsibility to bring somebody to Christ. We just have to be the faithful ambassadors of that. The condition of the church in the United States is very dismal right now. The church is shrinking in the United States by two and a half million people every year. Every year, 4,000 churches close in the United States. Entire, they got websites dedicated to what to do with a church turn it into a coffee shop, a bookstore, turn it into a condo. Uh, those stained glass windows look great in the condos. But, um, but we can turn that trend around. Every person in this room can start a prayer, care, share lifestyle for that person that you have in mind who's lost and see them come to Christ and one to faith. And that'll have an impact on the entire community if if. Christians start doing this in churches everywhere. The well-being of the city is impacted through that. So look at verse 38. 
pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. God wants to show up today. Remember we talked about that at the beginning? He wants to show up in extraordinary ways in your lives. And he wants you to be the answer to that prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. As you live out that prayer, care, share lifestyle for the person that God brought to mind at the beginning of the service, I'd like to connect with you on that. And so pull out your phones right now and, uh, and send, me, send a text message. It's not going to go to me. To, uh, send it to 97000. And text the word reminders. That's the body of the message. And this week, I'll ping you with several reminders about that prayer, care, share, lifestyle, and the person that you're trusting God to come into the kingdom. And also, if you're interested in that class, uh, you can scan that QR code on the back of the seat, and it'll take you to uh, the worship guide, and there's a link to register for that class there. If you're online, thank you for joining us. Uh, online, um, they'll put that in the chat as well. So, Tony? Thanks so much for sharing, Dan. We really appreciate your words. <clears throat>